Good morning, all. If you're comfortable, would you please lay your hands on your lap with the palms up and repeat after me. Bless us, Lord, this day with vision. May this place be a sacred place where heaven and earth meet. Let us pray. My own stale words are without flavor. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me so that your spirit, that through your spirit, my friends would meet you here today. Amen. Good morning again. Please turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. We'll leave that up for a sec. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tabera, because of the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Burning. Called the place Burning. Now, the mixed multitude who were among them, the Israelites and the non-Israelites, yielded to intense craving. That's an interesting line. I love the New King James there. It yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic... But now, our whole being is dried up, and there is nothing at all except this stuff, except this manna before our eyes. Manna was like coriander seed, and its color like the color of bdellium. The people went about and they gathered it, grounded on millstones or, or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell in the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. And Moses also was displeased. See, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Apparently, it's been said that this week's Parsha is so eventful that you can't even pronounce its name without going to rabbinical school. Does does anybody want to give it a go? I was like looking online trying to find the the, the correct pronunciation. I I couldn't find it. Um, We've been working our way through Torah since October now. And this morning, we find ourselves in the middle of the book of Numbers as we join the Israelites in the desert. And part of the point, I think, of studying Torah like we have is to repeatedly remind ourselves of the shared history that Christians have with the Hebrew people. So let's quickly do this again. The story started with God, who was in the beginning, creating the heavens and the earth. All of creation is busting with life as God shines light into the darkness and void 
and the world is put, is God, is, as God puts it, good. Then God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. God places the man in a beautiful garden with tons of delicious food and tasks the man with tending the garden. The man is told that of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, because in that day, you, if that you eat of it, you will surely die. Listen to me, God says. I've given you a beautiful, dynamic, incredible, holy creation. I've also given you a partner, uh, someone who will be with you and, and share an, an intimate relationship with you that's going to speak to the intimate relationship that I have with you. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Just make sure you watch out. Remember, I, 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 I know what's best for you. And never eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. It will surely bring death. And if you can't already tell from your surroundings, I'm a God of life. That was chapters 1 and 2. In the next chapter, they go ahead and decide to go their own way. And they eat from the tree that they aren't supposed to eat from. As was forewarned by God, bad things happened, but God showed mercy. He clothed them and kept them out of the garden so no more damage could occur. And he develops a relationship with their subsequent family. Unfortunately, mankind continues to go their own way. Rather than follow God and just a few chapters into the story, we're told that God needs to almost completely wipe the earth clean of all humanity. The creation that was so good has now been tainted with mankind's wickedness. But we're also told that, that one man and his family found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God sees Noah and his family through the eyes of the storm and a new day is dawned. Well, that doesn't last long. Poor choices, poor uh, personal choices turn into poor systematic choices. And the following generations continue to move farther away from God. Then, of course, uh, then uh, a, a, a new action is taken. See, God visits a man called Abram and tells him, get out of your country from your family and from your father's land. Go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'm going to make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in all and in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, and their families have good days and bad days as they choose when they're going to listen to God and when they're going to choose to move in their own direction. Shenanigans ensue, and ultimately, Jacob's descendants find themselves enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. Through a series of divinely ordained events, one named Moses who was a Hebrew child raised up in the household of Pharaoh, finds himself in the wilderness having a conversation with the living God about his people that are enslaved. God tells Moses, I have surely seen the oppression of, of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds sticky. Come now, 
therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses says, after some persuasion and some plagues, the children of Israel are led out of Egyptian slavery with Pharaoh and his army out on their tail. God prevails and things are really starting, then really, things really start to get interesting. The Lord provides for them in the wilderness. He not only gives them food to eat, but he also begins to outline a series of laws and ordinances that will give his people the identity of the people of the great I am. God says, you will be my people and I shall be your God. Trust me and I will bless you greatly. Then, in an even greater show of grace, God tells them of his plans for a portable temple. He tells them that his people, that uh, he tells his people that his desire is to dwell among them. He promises them that he will not be a distant God that judges from far off mountains. Rather, he is the great I am who desires to dwell in the midst of his people, to tabernacle with his people and to move with his people as they travel the wilderness and beyond, even into the promised land. See, time and time again, the Lord shows that he is a God of justice, one that isn't to be messed with. He is a God that is to be trusted. But he's also a God of grace and mercy. He's a God that will bring about shalom, that holy peace among his people. He has shown that he is an active, personal, caring, powerful, holy, just God who has just made a covenant with the children of Israel. And now, starting in Numbers chapter 11, the people are once again on the move towards the promised land that holds the destiny of the chosen people. So, when the people complained... It displeased the Lord. So, you know, you, you read this stuff during the week and you try to say, I need to keep my eyes open. You know, I need to, I need to be looking around as, as what God would tell me about this idea of, of, of people complaining. And uh, I came across this. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know... Sometimes you just got to keep your eyes open. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so um, when I was 18, I, uh, I got my first job working in ministry. And I was, um, I was very nervous. I mean, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I had no idea really how to act. Um, basically the, these people that I had met, people, people like Jan Atkins, <laughs> um, were like a celebrities of sort. I know I shouldn't have looked at them like that, the people that worked at Grace Fellowship Church, by the way, is where it was. But I was just scared to death because I, 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 I felt like I was just among just such great men and women. And um, I met all of our, the leadership team, and the first couple of weeks were, were, were pretty stressful, but, you know, I really felt comfortable. I really felt like, wow, this is really something that, that God's, he's speaking to me somehow. And I remember that um, we took a, a, a trip, we took a retreat to um, Deep Creek Lake. And I remember um, the first day of the trip, sitting on a boat, a pontoon boat in the middle of Deep Creek Lake, and listening to all the different people that were on our, our summer team, and, and everyone was, was sharing their stories. 
sharing their stories about how God was speaking to them in their lives. And we laughed together, and, and then we ate meals together. And I remember, but I remember on that boat, I remember thinking, wow, this is, an, this is overwhelming. There's, there's no turning back from this. I remember thinking that when we go back to shore, there's no turning back from this. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but there's no turning back from this. I, I know that God wants me to pursue this. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, and I'm sure it's going to look like pain, and I'm sure it's going to look like questioning, and I'm sure it's going to look like just difficult times, or it could look like just wonderful times and a great adventure. But, but regardless, there's no turning back. And that was day one. <laughs> And the next day, they said, well, we're going to go do a team-building exercise. And I said, oh, okay, great. You know, I'm excited. I like team-building exercises. Well, what are we going to do? Whitewater rafting down the Yakahaney River. Apparently, this is already a really, like, rough river. And they said that they got all excited. Like, oh, it rained last night. So that means... That, that the river that was already like a, like a intense, like a, like special grade six or whatever it is, is gonna be that much worse. Isn't that fun? Oh yeah, I said. This is great. I am, I am just thrilled. I am thrilled. Remember, there's no, no turning back now. So we get in this boat and I'm, I'm with, uh, uh, two other, two other men from our ministry team and then a guide. And I did find it interesting that, that you know, you, you got to really listen to, to the guides in these boats because, like, everything in your being may be saying, like, row left, you know, and he says, row right, because that's what it's going to take so that you don't smash your body into those jagged rocks. You know, I am petrified with fear. I am shaking with, like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to turn back. And like, you know, other boats are passing us by with like, you know, boats full of girls going, isn't this fun? Yeah, that's great. I love it. And then like two of our guys fell out of the boat and we had to go, oh, we got to go get them, you know. And, oh. and, and, and I'm just petrified with fear. I don't want this to keep going. And, the, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, team building exercise. Let's do like, like team monopoly or something. You know, or some sort of like, you know, craft project. No, let's, let, let, let's do that. I mean, look at these people. Don't, don't they look, you know, like they're having a great time. You know, they don't care at all about those rocks. So then we, we got to shore and we took a break and we had like eight more hours down the river to go. And my boss looks at me and he goes, ah, oh, isn't this great? You know, it's a lot like God. You know, he's our guide. And sometimes he tells us to row left, but we got to keep rowing right. And it doesn't make sense sometimes what he's doing, but, but you got to trust him. You got to trust him. And he looks at me and he says, what do you think about that? I said, give me a break. We got like three more hours of this going down this river. And you look at those rocks. I'm ready to break out the Monopoly board. But there was no turning back. Um, I didn't die. So, you know, but I've never been back. 
Um, you see, when, when God has begun a good work in us, there is no turning back. And that may look like years of strife. It may look like a peaceful existence. You know, um, it may look like your cup is running over. Uh, it may look like economic prosperity. It may look like years of unemployment. It may look like a lot of things, but it's definitely going to look like sin. It doesn't matter who you are. The truth is that you are going to fall short of God's glory. Isn't that good news, though? Isn't it good news that the glory of God's creation, as it is worked through in our midst, will never be in danger of being surpassed by our own understanding and our own ambitions, our own righteousness? See, the kingdom of God is looking for citizens that will build for it under God's own discipline, but only through, um, only through God and God's Spirit can the job get done. Only through the work of Jesus on the cross and the life that is offered through His resurrection can the journey continue. See, I, I think complaining about a current state of being is a defense mechanism. It's a defense mechanism that, that keeps us from the journey that God has for us. Perhaps, though, if we turn the tables and look to God in our times of trouble, he can either, A, help us in ways that we haven't even ever considered, or, B, build a relationship with us that might just help us understand why the answer is no. See, I think that when we make that commitment to move forward and say that there's no turning back, that's, that's a faith that we're going to need because things are not going to always make sense. Moses found this out. Back to our teaching. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carrying as a nursing child to the land you swore to their fathers? Where am I going to get meat to give all these people? For they weep over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please just kill me now. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy of the elders of Israel, who you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring, bring them to the tabernacle. The tabernacle of meeting, that they shall stand there with you. Then I'll come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not just one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, for a whole month, until it starts coming out of your nostrils, 
and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? Later on, a wind went from the Lord. It brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. And a day, about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side were all around the camp, about two cubits above the surface of the ground. It's raining quail. All the people stayed up all night, all night, to the next day gathering quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, that's an interesting image, isn't it? While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. That's, that's kind of a weird turn of events, you know, especially since in the earlier part of the chapter, you know, God helps Moses, gives him aid, says, all right, they're hungry for meat, I'll give them meat. You need some help, I'll give you help. And then he struck the people with a very great plague. I wrestled with that. Last night, I, 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 was, I was thinking about this, and I said to my wife, I said to Amy, we got to leave, because I, I, I just got to get away from it for a little bit and just try to think about it. And I kept going back to that story about there's no turning back. See, you're, you're going to need that faith. You're going to need that commitment. And I think that that, that commitment is a virtue that can be learned it's a virtue that um, of trust. And it's something that we can not only um, work with God over, but we can work with each other. That's it's part of the idea of being in a house church, is that we're building each other up. We're building, each other in, building into each other's lives and encouraging one another that we're saying, listen, you said there's no turning back. Did you mean it? Listen to the way that Eugene Peterson translates Paul in 1 Corinthians. Remember our friends, uh, remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain, for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And that rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert. And God wasn't pleased. The same could happen to us. We must be on our guard so that we never get caught up wanting our own way as they did. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First the people partied and then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember the 23,000 deaths in one day? We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us 
serving him. They tried it. And God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. These are our warning makers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They are at the beginning, we are at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anybody else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. It's useless. Cultivate instead God-confidence. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So, Saturday, we're going to uh, have what is the number now, I believe, eight students from New Hope come up to my house, our house, and uh, do a backyard camp out. It's, um, it's something we've looked forward to for a long time. We've, uh, we had this conversation, Jason and I, about um, the questions that are going to... Uh, um, need to be wrestled with in regards to our children's ministry here at New Hope. Um, but one of the things that, and that's going to take time to wrestle through those questions. But one of the things that we can get started on right away is the cultivation of the relationships that we have with the kids. And I said, oh, I want to do something. And we talked about a um, a lock-in or something like that. And yeah, that just didn't feel right. And I was like, well, I'm sitting there on my computer typing and I'm like looking out the window going, oh, we could camp out here. And um, very excited about it. But the, the, we're calling it the edge. And the reason we're calling it the edge is because these kids, these students, are on the edge of something. You're on the edge of, of new questions of, of life in middle school uh, as they maybe dive a little deeper into their, uh, their academic lives and as they move into um, adolescence and maturity. And I know that there is a call in this body for, um, for us to be involved in that. As they stand on, on the edge of new choices, of the edge of, of, um, of that life and I would hope that our body can disciple them and to look to them. And when they say, I'm in and I don't want to turn back, that we can look at them and say, yeah, we're right there with you. So, yeah, it's going to be a great backyard camp. But I hope that it's the beginning of something. I hope that it is the beginning of of relationships that will continue and the maturity that will continue throughout um, well, the rest of their time, at least in, in middle school and high school and beyond. So uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you 
that you are in our midst, that you are involved and that you dwell with us. You tabernacle with us in our midst. We thank you that the cross and the empty tomb are realities, historical realities, spiritual realities, physical realities, that your new creation has begun. And then I just pray that that as we think about not looking back to where we were, not looking back to Egypt, not looking back to some of the benefits that may have come with slavery, that instead you help us to look forward. You help us to to see the work that you're doing in our midst, that you help to guide us toward the empty tomb, toward the resurrection of Jesus, toward the promised land. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we close our time together.